Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the text that was read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11. And for those who are visiting with us this morning, we are dealing with a series of messages on the Lord's Supper. Uh, We started by talking about the origin of it. This week, I want us to deal with why we do it. Um, I've told you the story before, but it bears repeating. It's the, the, the wife who, whenever she was cooking a ham, she would always cut the ends off. Whenever she would cook her ham, she would cut the ends off. One day her husband developed enough courage to ask why she did that. Why do you always cut the ends of the ham off? He said, I don't know. I saw my mother doing it and so I do it. He said, you've never never been told why? No, I just do it because mother did it. So when mother came over, he decided to ask, Mom, why do you cut the ends of the ham off when you're cooking it? Oh, she said, the pan that I used was too small. (laughs) And so to get it in the pan, I cut the ends off. We come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and on the fourth Sunday, we have what we call the communion, the Lord's Supper. And I wonder if for some of you, it's not, we just do it. (laughs) There's no big deal to it. There's no significance to it. We just do it. I remember hearing the story of some pastors who met together and they were discussing the communion and one said, you know, I think we should have the communion every Sunday. And the rest of the pastors said, oh, no, I don't think so. Why, said he. He said, well, because I think it will become a commonplace to people if we do that. And so he said, but we take up the offerings twice a day. It hasn't registered, has it? (laughs) If we take up the the offering twice each Sunday, and it hasn't become a commonplace for us, why do you think by taking the communion every Sunday it will become? It's only once a day. The offerings is twice a day. That is, you know, when they used to have evening services. (laughs) What I'm saying is that we can, we can be so deeply involved in something that might seem to have significance. We call it the Lord's Supper. And what do we take? We take a little piece of bread and a little glass of juice. You know, I'll never forget the first time I, I had a, an American wedding. I was traveling And so I got there the night before, and and I was somewhat tired and everything, so didn't have much to eat. And so the following day for the wedding, I just had a piece of uh, toast or whatever. And so I'm thinking, after the wedding, this ceremony, they are going to have food. Well, American weddings do not have food after the ceremony. Once in a while. In Canada... When we have a ceremony, sometimes we eat for three hours. (laughs) I was so disappointed. I was so glad that my wife, being an American, got married in Canada. 
because it would not have been anything. I mean, I remember a Japanese wedding that I had. They had eight courses. You know, it took a long time. So you call that supper? Really? There's a reason we call it the Lord's Supper, and that's what we want to look at this morning. Is there some, signific- some, some significance to this little ritual we go through every month? There are some churches that do it every week. If you're familiar with the Brethren uh, people, they do it every week, and they do it in a different way. They go into secret, giving people the idea there must be something secret about this thing. And, of course, you know... As we shall look at this morning, part of this whole idea of the Lord's Supper, some people used to accuse the church of being cannibals because Jesus in John chapter 6, which we will look at in a few minutes, said, eat my body and drink my blood. That doesn't sound too appetizing. What is Jesus talking about? That's what we want to go into this morning, and may God give us the understanding of it. Let's pray. Now, Father... We are dealing with matters having to do with the Spirit. And we want to be true to your word. So we submit, I submit to the ministry of the Spirit of God that he will direct me in proclaiming your truth. May I speak as the oracles of God, that is, with reverence and with words from God that our souls might remember Not only what we hear, but that we will begin to feed on the Lord who is our supper. I pray in his name. Amen. Next week, Lord's willing, we'll be looking at the first part of of, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, where we talk about what happens at the Lord's Supper and in preparations for it. This morning, I want you to recall some of the words that were read by Kim a few moments ago. And the communion is not about you and it's not about me. One of the things we do here in this church is, uh, people will tell you who are regular attenders here, that when we have a communion service, it is a communion service. The whole service reverts around the person of Christ. Because when Jesus was instituting instituting this thing that we call a communion, He said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want to look at that this morning. Do this. Twice he said, remember me. You're doing this in remembrance of me. We'll look more at at, at this word remembrance next week. But, But what it means is that you will bring to your mind. You will fill your mind with all the things that Jesus introduced that led to and beyond the upper room. But what I want to deal with this morning is that isn't it interesting that Jesus said, you do this in remembrance of me? And here's the question. Is, Is this some egomaniac speaking? Remember me. We talk about selfishness. We talk about people who always want things to be them, from them, to them, for them. Is Jesus the same as any other person saying, do this in remembrance of me? Why is he telling us this? He's telling us, my friends, we do this in remembrance of of me 
if we put any other significance upon the communion or the Lord's Supper, then God puts on it, we're doing dangers to our souls. If, if we say that something else can do for our souls what the communion is intended to, to, to relay, then we are doing damage to our souls. It is like worshiping the wrong thing. Later on, Paul will say, whoever eats and drinks this cup unworthily drinks and eats damnation to themselves. This is why Jesus wants us to remember him. Now, why is it significant for us to remember him? Do you remember that in the ninth chapter of the book of Luke, where the transfiguration of Jesus is recorded for us. Peter, James, and John are in a mountain with our Lord. And, and Peter saw the transformation of Jesus, a transfiguration, I should say, rather than transformation, transfiguration. And Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I, let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And immediately the text says, as they were saying this, a cloud covered them, and a voice was heard from heaven, this is my beloved son, singular, not sons. Don't equate Moses with Jesus. Don't equate Elijah with Jesus. The only person that speaks divinely is Jesus. Hear him. Hear him. Nobody else can speak to us concerning the condition of our souls, the destiny of our lives, as Jesus Christ can. That's why we remember him. Because he's the one who came from heaven, as we shall see in a few moments, to tell us what the will of God is. No one else has. No one else has. There are those who are claiming that they have messages from God beyond the scriptures, my friends. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, If I or any other person should preach any other gospel to you, let them be accursed. No other person can tell us what God wants us to know as Jesus Christ can. Not Moses, not Elijah. That's why he said, remember me. It's not, it's not some egomania speaking. It is saying, I am telling you what is good for your soul. If you miss this, you'll miss life. That's what Jesus said. But what does Paul say? In 1 Corinthians 11, he said, I received from the Lord Jesus the night in which he was betrayed that he took bread. And when he took it, this is what he said. And then Paul says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's saying the same thing. Because to proclaim the Lord's death is to speak of Jesus. To proclaim the Lord's death is to remember him. But there's so much more in remembering him. Let me give you one. We can remember the Lord's death because of what it provides for us. But we can also remember the, the Lord's death because the Lord's death was the means by which God redeemed and reconciled us to himself. But there's one more thing 
We remember about the Lord's death. That he rose from it. That's why, he's go- That's why we can proclaim it until he comes again. Because when he comes, the same Jesus who was taken up from the presence of the apostles, we will see him with our eyes. And we will proclaim that he died. And the hope we have of seeing him is based not simply upon his death, but upon his resurrection. So he said, remember me. You see, my friends, when we remember Christ in the communion, we are taking life beyond the physical. In the physical, but beyond the physical. For many of us, life is working as hard as we can to make ends meet. I told you about a friend of mine up in Ontario. He was promised a job as an organist. He's a brilliant organist. He was my organist when I was there, and he was promised an organist, uh, a a job in in, in a a ministry in another church as an organist. And and the, the Wednesday before he was supposed to start, he dropped dead. I'm sorry, he didn't die right away. He died a few days after. And his brother called me and he said, I can't, I don't know how to cope with this. Here, it seems that this was, this is the thing he lived for all his life. He he lived for a job like this. But what his brother didn't know is what he said to me. He didn't live for that day in that job. He lived for the day he would see Christ. That's what he lived for. He talked to me again and again and again about it. I remember talking to him on the phone from his hospital bed. And he said, Winston, I've never been as happy as I am right now. The man was dying of level four brain cancer. But he remembered Jesus and in the, in the hour of his death, he was more alive than his brother who wasn't in a sick bed. Remember me. Oh, friends, remembering Jesus has more to do with just the historical fact of the communion, as we shall see in a few moments. So from the lips of Jesus, remember him. And remembering Jesus by the lives of the apostles, by the teaching of the apostles, it was never a burden for them to remember him. I want to tell you, I have reasons for saying that. Because we're living in a day when people are beginning to ask questions. Isn't God a little bit egocentric? He wants to be glorified. He wants to be remembered. Ha, ah, friends, the reason he wants us to do that is because if our souls find delight in anything that's apart from God, we are less than God created us to be. Anything that satisfies the soul less than God is a false God. And it will actually betray us in a day to come. But I want to rush that and forgive me for doing that because I want to get to the claims of Jesus and the Lord's Supper. This is where we'll get into the heart of the matter as to what does it mean, the Lord's Supper? I want you to turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I want you to listen to the claims of Jesus. John chapter 6 is the story of a little boy who brought, who had five loaves and two fish. And Jesus turned the five loaves into bread for the multitude to eat. 
and fish to go along with it. John chapter 6. The next day, the people who were given bread came to Jesus and said, we want some more bread. And Jesus said, you're coming to me not because you saw the miracle, but because you ate bread. And then he said to them, don't labor for the bread that cannot give you life, but for the bread that can give you life. And therein begins the story. John chapter 6. Look at verse 32, if you please. Jesus is now speaking directly to his disciples and to those who were around him at the time. John chapter 6, verse 32. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of heaven is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Very briefly, bread in the history of Israel. You, you, would, you would be surprised how fascinating this is. Bread in the life of the ancient people was a stable diet. It was something that they didn't, you know, um, I said to my wife the other day, um, no, actually it was yesterday, uh, do you want me to pick up a pizza? <laughs> or, or do you want us to take what's in the fridge? I mean, isn't it, it no, no thought at all. Get a pizza. Go to the store and get some food. When was the last time you worried about food? The refrigerator is just full of leftovers. They didn't have that in the, in the, in the good old days, in the ancient times. Bread to them was like having a three-course meal, bread and water. And in the history of Israel, bread was used in two different ways, as we will see as Jesus is telling us. The nations lived by it. They needed it. When they got hungry, God gave them bread. And scholars tell us that the ancient people in Bible times, that was their simple diet. Hebrews counted it along with water as the vital daily sustenance. Without it, the Israelite felt his life was in danger. Bread was essential to them. Keep that in mind. The physical bread. But I want you to see something else. Not only in Israel, but in the leadership of Israel. Because they were mistaking something for something else. They said that Moses gave them the bread. You see, for the Israelite, Moses was a central figure. He was a unique individual because he brought the commandments to them. And so they adore Moses. And what they were telling Jesus is that Moses gave us bread in the wilderness. What are you talking about, this bread that comes down from heaven? Jesus said to them, the bread that was provided in the wilderness was not given by Moses. It was given by God. 
Because you see, my friends, whether it is physical or spiritual bread, Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. We might not need the flour and the water, but for your job, for your responsibilities, it is a provision of God. Just like my friend Pat, he was going to have a job and he was gone in days. We would try to understand that and have put all kinds of spin on it, but it won't help. He had the other kind of bread that sustained him in death. It is one thing to be provided by God with the physical bread. And he knows we need it. That's why he gave it to Israel in the wilderness. He didn't, he didn't draw a picture for them of bread. He gave them real bread. Because that to them was what kept them going. And so Jesus is trying to teach. Not trying, he's teaching a lesson. The symbol of bread. You will look in this text and we can't go over it all. But you will notice that Jesus used some very, very interesting words. Because he, he's talking, they talk about bread from heaven, bread from heaven. But Jesus is going to change it and Jesus is going to say, the bread of God. The bread of God. You see, bread from God feeds people's physical life. Bread of God feeds the soul of people. Physical bread can never reach where spiritual bread can. This is the lesson that Jesus was teaching. And so now, Jesus is going to talk about the mystery of bread. The mystery of bread. 32, listen to what he says. I say to you, it is not Moses who gave you the bread out of heaven, but my Father who gives you the bread, the true, the true bread out of heaven. Now listen to this. Verse 33. For the bread of God is that which come down out of heaven. Not simply comes from heaven. Rain comes from heaven. But this is the bread that comes out of heaven. And he's going to relate himself to the bread for the soul that comes out of heaven to them. They were laboring just as many people do today. They labor for the physical bread. They labor long hours, day and night, to make sure that they have enough to eat and enough, the, the, the big enough house or whatever it might be, because that's what we live for. That's why I hope you didn't, you're not going to, Showed me the highway because I said Jesus didn't die for the American dream. <laughs> but that's what we live for, friends. We live for what we can accumulate now. And people are so consumed by the physical bread that they ignore the God who gives them the physical bread and who has the spiritual bread for their souls. They do it all the time. Jesus is saying, look at the source of this mystery. 32 again. Just as it was God who gave bread in the Old Testament, 
and you can look in Leviticus 21, you'll find that all over. So the bread for the soul is also provided by God. This is what Jesus wants to get through to them. He calls himself the true bread. What Moses gave you only lasted for 12 hours. The bread of God leads for all eternity. Not only for time, but eternity. Moses gave you what came out of heaven. Here we have the bread of God that comes down. We have this this physical descent. If you please, the incarnation, the first Christmas as we call it. Why is Jesus the true bread? Because Jesus is the true bread because he is on earth as that as the one who came out from heaven to tell us what God is like, what God requires, and what God is going to do to provide, not only for time, but for eternity. Only Jesus can tell us that. We long for that. Only Jesus knows what is the will of the Father. So he comes to disclose that to us. John in 1 John 4.10 says, He loved us and sent his Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loved us when Jesus died on the cross, my friends. He died in order that we might be forgiven of our sins, number one. But not only forgiveness does the cross provide, the cross provides reconciliation. Reconciliation. It's one thing to be forgiven. <laughs> you know, sometimes if, if someone forgives us, they don't want to talk to us afterwards. Someone forgives us, they still remember. And <laughs> my, my blessed mother, oh my word. I, 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 I keep saying this. This is what comes to my mind. When I used to just give my mother the, the pain of her life, I'm surprised she, she lived at... at, at at the age of 91, having me for a son. I caused my mother great problems. Oh, my word. And mom would, would, would beat me. <laughs> I mean, beat me. And I tell people that if laws were in place then, that are in place now for parents beating their children, I'd visit my mother in prison. And we, mom would give us the appropriate response to our disobedience. But I tell you, after that I had to work to be reconciled to her. I mean, she, and my mom had a look. Oh my. And I had to wait for that look to go before I knew I was reconciled. And then she called me a certain name. And when she called me that name, I could say, yes, I'm reconciled to mom. (laughs) Oh, dear friends, when God forgives your sin and mine, he doesn't sit sulking because you failed. He doesn't sit saying, okay, you've got to work your way back. No, he brings us together. He brings us back to himself. 
He releases us. And, and you might say, oh, how could God do that? Because he's God. That's why. For no other reason. God so loved us and he sent his son to be a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice, the appeasing of his wrath. God sent his son and on the cross, Jesus cried out to God so that you and I wouldn't have to. What a word. I'm the living bread. Moses' bread didn't have life. So he's, he's, he's talking with, the, with, the, with his contemporaries now. And, and he tells them. These are the words that really got them going. When Jesus was speaking to them in verse 52. The Jews began to argue with one another saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You see, in the previous verses, Jesus was saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the disciples found that repulsive, which they ought to. But they missed the whole point. Jesus was using a metaphor to teach something. He's saying as physical takes care, as the physical bread takes care of the physical, I am the bread that takes care of the spiritual. And whoever eats, and drinks my flesh. Now I want you to see something here, friends. Jesus is not talking about cannibalism. I want you to see that what it means to eat and drink means this, first of all, to believe. To believe. The disciples ask, the, the, the contemporaries ask, how can we work the works of God? The work of God is that we believe on the Son of God. Because he's going to say, whoever eats and drinks, drinks what I come to provide, eats what I come to provide. And he said, I am the bread. And here's the, here's the secret to the supper. If Jesus is the bread that satisfies the soul, Jesus is more than our Savior. I'm going to use a word now that might, might frighten you. Jesus is more than a Savior. Jesus is a sanctifier. A sanctifier is one who removes all the, the, the stuff that gets in the way of living. A sanctifier is one who removes from our lives those things that cause so much pain to us and to others. Peter, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5 says, Jesus, our Passover, has been, uh, is sacrificed and we are to hold the feast as we are this morning, not with the unleavened bread of malice and wickedness, because when, when we come to Jesus, he doesn't only forgive us, he begins to transform us. And so, listen to, again, what the apostles said of Jesus. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in Christ. Every spiritual blessing to feed upon the life of Christ, to feed upon the works of Christ, means that my soul is feeding on eternal things. That's why it's a supper. 
It's a never-ending feast that one has for the soul as he or she communes with the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. Shall not hunger. All my life long I had panted for a draught from some cool spring that I hope would quench the thirst, the, the quenching of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the husk around me till my strength was almost gone. Hallelujah, I have found him who my soul so long has craved. My friends, over 40 years ago, this Savior became mine, and my soul has never longed for another Savior. I have been feeding on him, feeding on him every day. I opened his word this morning. And as I opened the word so familiar to me, all of a sudden something jumped out at me. See, I had a feast this morning. I had supper this morning. When I became a Christian, I used to get up at 4 o'clock in the mornings, go with my Bible in a little place, and I would sit there. And I did that because that's what John Wesley did, for those of you who know John Wesley is, founder of Methodism. And I did that for a couple of years. And before too long, I found myself getting tired of doing that. And if you know Jesus Christ, if I remember John Wesley in the place of Jesus, I'll become hungry again. If I remember any of the church fathers, and I know a good number of them, I will become hungry again. The only way my soul hungers and is fed and hungers and is fed and hunger that is fed is that I continue to feed on the life of Jesus. That's why for for many of us, believing in Jesus seemed something we did in the past. No, friends. All All the promises of God are in Christ. Yes! So that that when I open this book, the written word, and feast upon the living word, my soul has a feast. Soul is is bubbling over. We used to sing a song, uh, my early Christian life, it's bubbling over, it's bubbling, bubbling, bubbling. Um, I don't know that that is necessarily true, but what he's saying is that for the Christian, there might be low days, but the real life will overcome those low days. I was reading it again this this morning in Psalm 44. The psalmist says, "We, we, we remember the history. We remember. We remember how you blessed in the past. But now, now, you seem to be absent, but we will trust in you. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. You see, my friends, Christianity is not about keeping rules. 
Christianity is to enjoy a fellowship, a relationship. Something that is provided by God so that your soul, in spite of physical needs, your soul continues to actually rise above it. And you can sing. You can sing with the psalmist. Weeping may endure for an evening, but joy comes in the morning. That's why we call it a supper. It is not that little piece of bread. It is what they represent. It is not the cup. It's what the inside the cup represents. And when we remember Jesus, as we shall see next week, when we remember him, our souls will begin to rise, to expand. In fact, Paul puts it this way, that you might come to know the length and the breadth and the width of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Surpasses knowledge. I end with this song I learned in college. And I repeat it again and again. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my breasts. For by thy transforming power, thou hast made me whole. What drives me in life? Where do I get the strength to keep on keeping on when there are shadows, when, there are, when, when, when the devil is trying to reign in my parade? I get it by remembering Jesus. All that he is. The great promise, our promises. Peter said, those promises are so magnificent. They're so precious. Because by embracing the promises of God, I partake of the very nature of God so that I can begin to live life here, as someone puts it. I begin to live life here and now because heaven has entered my soul long before my soul enters heaven. That's why it's a supper. Because here and now, I enjoy in time what I shall hereafter enjoy for all eternity. I invite you to eat the bread that came down out of heaven. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved if you have never done that. My friends, an invitation is extended to you this morning. If you are here without Christ this morning, he wants, he says, come to me all you that labor. Don't labor for the bread that will just make you thirsty and hungry again. The bread of God is to believe in the Son of God. For he who has the Son has life. Our Father, may your Spirit use your word to bring us as your people closer to God. To see Jesus Christ as God's bread. For the soul, the living bread, the true bread. Father, I pray that the Spirit will complete the word that he has started to work, with which he started to work 
in our hearts and give us a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that only eating the bread, drinking the cup, remembering Jesus can satisfy in his name. Amen.